Let's stand and take our Bibles, Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. If you're visiting from out of town, we're so glad you're here tonight. And visiting with us, Shirley, it's good to see you with us. Are you just passing through? Or you got recruited to babysit? Or you, you, are you going to rejoin the church? I mean, you know, that'd be a blessing. But we're glad to have Shirley back with us. And I'm glad to have uh, Glenda and Agnes' two sisters with us, one visiting from Calgary and one visiting from Texas. We're glad to have you. And who else is visiting tonight from out of Brother David Trong, you're visiting with us from out of town. Brother David was uh, just a little kid when I had him many, many years ago. He's older than me now. Can you believe that? He, he's got more white hair than me. I say, hey, old man, how are you doing? Amen. You know? <laughs> it's good to see you, Brother David, there. Amen. Who else is visiting out of town? Anybody else visiting from out of town? Okay, well, we're glad for our members being here. Amen. Glad you're here tonight. It's going to be wonderful this evening. Proverbs chapter 30. <clears throat> I, I enjoyed preaching for about four years through this, and, I, and I, as I've been reading through it, I just felt like, man, I didn't do, I, I didn't do justice to some of these passages. I just think they needed more time there. I, how many of you guys that preach feel like after you preach a passage, you need to preach it again? Amen? You know, you just feel like that all the time there, right? So anyway, we're going to see some very interesting, a very animated passage, very illustrative. Verse 29. Are you there? Verse 29, there be three things, now he was an alliterated preacher, amen, there be three things which go well, underline that phrase, things that go well, yea, four are comely in going, underline those three words, comely in going, a lion which is strongest among beasts and turneth not away for any, a greyhound a he-goat also, and a king against whom there is no rising up. I call your attention to the introduction to this in verse 29. The writer said, we're to look at four things that are comely in going. Now, we're going to have a Bible study tonight. I think Bible studies are good, amen? But we're going to do some preaching too. Okay? Like an old preacher said, you can't have preaching without teaching, but a lot of times you can have teaching and there is no preaching. Now, God ordered preaching before he did teaching. Amen? And every, all, when there's good preaching, when there's expository preaching, he needs to have good teaching behind it. Now, if, you, if, you'll, if you'll zone in tonight, keep your ears open and your heart soft and your eyes open, you're going to see some teaching tonight, but you're going to get preached to this evening. It's preached to me for several weeks here on this, and I just felt like tonight was the time to deliver this. And so we'll look at some things tonight that will help us in our Christian life, things that are comely. Father, we pray this evening that your word would be, just, would be lifted up in our hearts. We pray that the soil of our hearts would be good soil. Break up the fallow ground of our hearts, we pray. We pray this evening that, uh, Lord, that we'd be careful that none of our hearts would be wayside soil where the birds would come and snatch the good seed out of our heart, or men would trample upon it. We pray that the soil of our hearts would not be thorny soil, where the cares of this world would choke it out. We pray that, Lord, it would not be shallow soil, where it cannot take deep root, but good soil, where 25, 50, 100-fold fruit would come forth. We thank you that there's nothing wrong with the seed. We thank you that the seed is precious and incorruptible, but it's the soil that you must work upon. We pray tonight for a congregation, a church family that's tired and weary and, Lord, need help from you. And for many that are watching by live stream tonight, that, Lord, we need to be taught and instructed. I need help tonight, Lord. I am, no, I am not a Solomon. I am not an expert. I, I, I'm just, Lord, just trying to serve you and do what's right here this evening. And I'm praying this evening that you'll love us through your word. I pray tonight that you'll feed our souls. 
I pray, God, that you'll help us to be warned, and yet at the same time, I pray you help us to be exhilarated by what we see tonight. Father, I pray you'd have your way. I pray that for someone here tonight who's not made that step of faith, of trusting your son, Jesus Christ, as Savior, that I pray that tonight would be the night. I pray for some of us who found ourselves perhaps slipping a little bit, that God, we just would get right back into the circle of things. God, encourage us tonight. May we say when we leave tonight, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you read Proverbs regularly? How many realize the more you read Proverbs, the more you need Proverbs? Amen? It's a book of wisdom. It's, it's encouragement to us. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have found Proverbs very helpful. It's just, I think it covers every facet of life. If you're going through relationship difficulties, Proverbs is there for you. If you're going through temptation difficulties, Proverbs is there for you. If, you're, if you want to grow as a leader, you need to read Proverbs. Proverbs has a, very, a number of good, good things there for you in growing in leadership. Now, as we look at Proverbs tonight, I think for all of us, Proverbs should be required reading. There's 31 chapters that fits 31 days in a month. In those shorter months where there's only 30 days or maybe perhaps a typical February, you just bunch up those chapters a little bit more. But it's good reading. You could do about a chapter a day in those situations there. Solomon was the writer and author. Now, notice chapter, chapter 30 verse 1. Uh, we're going to see something here about that. It says, the words of Agur, the son of Yaka, even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithiel, even to Ithiel and Eucal. Now, Solomon, we believe, was the writer, and I'll show that to you in just a moment. Solomon was a king. Solomon was a counselor. Solomon was a man of wisdom. He acquired that wisdom from God. The Bible says he was the wisest man during his time of all his contemporaries. But I believe Solomon acquired his wisdom not only from God, but I believe he, he, was growing, he was growing leaps and bounds in wisdom because of the people that he had to counsel day in and day out. Solomon was a student of people. Uh, Solomon was a student of the Bible. By the way, Solomon was a preacher. Ecclesiastes 1.1 says he was a preacher, okay? And so as we look at this, we must understand he's reflecting on these things. He's writing these things as a preacher of the Word of God. And I believe if you're a preacher, you need to be wise. If God calls you to be a preacher, you must be blameless before God. You must, have, you must be wise. You must give attention to the things of God. Now notice Proverbs 30, verse 1. The words of Agur. Now, the word, the name Agur, you want to write this down means gatherer. Everything we find in chapter 30 is a gathering of good things. It's a gathering of spiritual principles, spiritual lessons. Yaka, his father, means obedient and blameless. Now, uh, the Talmud says this. In the Talmud, they said that Solomon was known by several names. In the Talmud, the Jewish writer said that he was known by Solomon. We know that. He was known by Jedidiah. We know that the prophet Nathan called him Jedidiah. He was known as Koheleth. We see that in other passages. He's known as the son of Yaka. He's called Agur. And in chapter 31, he's also called Lemuel. All of these are references to, Sa- to, to Solomon. Now, as we look at this passage here, as we begin, we see that it's written, he says, the words of Agur. He's calling himself the gatherer, the son of Yaka. He's talking about his father, David. And uh, as we, we just said earlier, Yaka, if you would, means, means blameless or obedient. That's what he thought about his father there in terms of his life. Now, he's writing to two students, not to two sons, but to two students. The name of the first student, his name was Ithiel. Now, write this down. If you put this in your Bible there. Ithiel means God is with me. That's a good name. God is with me. So he's writing to student number one, whose name was God is with me, Ithiel. Student number two is Eukul, Ukul, and it means I shall be able. So if you, if you would, he's got two students who are protégés who are learning under their mentor. 
They're sitting there with notebooks open, pen in hand, ready to receive the engrafted word which is able to save souls. That's an example of how we're supposed to receive the word of God. Amen? The preacher, if you would, Solomon is standing there and he's saying to these two men, Ithiel and Eucol or Ukol, he's telling them, your names have symbolic meanings. One of your names means God is with me. One of your names means I shall be able. And he's saying as you take those two names together, there are some surefire principles here that you don't want to neglect, that you want to grasp here. Now verse 29 gives us an insight into, into what, this all, what this all is about here. Because when we look at a lion and we look at a greyhound and a he-goat and a king, we're asking ourselves a question, what do all of them have in common? Now notice as we look at verse 29, he gives us some insight about this. He says, there be three things which go well. Now the phrase things that go well means things that are majestic. He's talking about they that walk decently with alacrity, with courage, and majestically, with majesty. He's talking about things that go well, things that walk with a sense of majesty. Can I say this to you tonight? Did you know the Christian life should be a dignified life? Right? The Christian life should be one where all of us walk in dignity. We walk as men and as women of God. It's not just a preacher is a man of God. All men should strive to be men of God. All men should strive to be godly. Women should be ladies with dignity. That's why we have Proverbs 31. We talk about the virtuous woman. It still irks me. Many years ago, I heard a man teach a lesson from Proverbs 31, and he says, that is not attainable. I disagree with that. I think that's the benchmark that every lady can attain to. Amen? They may fail in getting there every now and then, but it's, it's a benchmark. It's something every day to wake up to and say, Lord, help me to live up to that benchmark and that standard there. Okay? So we see, first of all, that he talks about Things that go, which go well. Now, as you look at the church, you look at both the phrases here, he talks about going well and comely and going. He's talking about a walk. He's talking about, a, a, he's talking about an exercise here. They that walk decently, these, they that walk digni with dignity. But then he talks about comely and going. Four things which are comely and going. Now, comely and going means pleasing in its walk. It's good or pleasing in its manner of life. Now, what we see here is God directing our attention to four real-life examples of things that do exactly and excellently, excellently what God intended them to do. Let me repeat that. Four real-life examples of things that do excellently what God intended them to be. Now, God has a plan, and a beautiful plan, and a perfect plan, and a wonderful plan for every life. Amen? Okay? And we know that. You say, well, how do you know that? Because we, we have that all throughout the Bible. God doesn't save you to wander aimlessly in life and try to figure out what life was all about. God did not save you to be a failure. God saved you to be useful to Him, to glorify Him. That's a wonderful thing. Before you got saved, you had no purpose in your life. After you got saved, God gave you purpose to live for Him and glorify Him, okay? So we look at these four examples, and we, we look at them tonight. And, I, and let me give you a, a thought here. Matthew Poole, in his commentary on, on Proverbs said this about this passage. He says, you can interpret verse 29 as saying, they that walk decently and with great alacrity and courage, which are here commended to us to imitate the management of our affairs. In other words, he's saying, what God gave us here in verses 29 to 31 of Proverbs 30 are to be imitated in our life. They set before us a proper example in how we're to live the Christian life, how to live it excellently. Now, in, in Philippians 1.10, if you don't, I don't know if that's in your notes, but you might want to turn to that there. In Philippians 1.10, it gives us some insight about the pursuits of the Christian life. Would you notice Philippians 1.10? 
Paul said this, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Now, every time I read that verse, it reminds me, we are to look at things that, that are put before us, and we're to approve those things which are excellent. Some of those things which are excellent are right here, four life examples that God gives us here. We find these life examples in, a, in the way of a lion, in the way of a greyhound, in the way of a he-goat, and the way of a king. So one, number one, there's two points to this I'm going to give you tonight. Number one, I want you to see the life lessons or a godly life. The life lessons or a godly life. Number one, would you notice the lion with me? He says in verse 30, a lot, there are four things which are comely or pleasing in their example, pleasing in their walk, pleasing in their pursuit. Number one, a lion which is strongest among beasts and turneth not away for any. Now, if you know anything about lions, you know the following. Lions are called the king of the jungle. They've been considered for years the king of beasts. What he's emphasizing here is the strength of lions. Listen to some things about lions that we should give heed to. Okay? There was one time lions could be found throughout Europe, Asia, and Africa. Now, you mainly only can find lions in Africa because they've been, they've been pretty much wiped out by hunters. But can you imagine back at the time that, that Solomon wrote this, lions were, no, were, were just were spread out through Africa, Asia, and Europe. I mean, there was an abundance of lions everywhere. They're very fearsome animals. For instance, consider this. A lion can reach almost to 11 feet in length. That's pretty long. Almost 11 feet in length, and just standing on their all fours, they reach up to four, four feet in height, or if not, a little bit higher, okay? Lions have as many as 30 teeth in their mouth, and uh, some, their canines can reach anywhere from three to four inches in, in length. Uh, a lion can run short distances at 50 miles per hour. That's why it's very hard for prey to escape them when they get up very close. They crouch up in those grassy areas. They make themselves kind of invisible and hidden. And when the time comes, they spring forth. They can run short distances at 50 miles per hour. And they can leap. When they leap, they can leap as far as 36 feet. That's, that's, a, that's a long distance, amen, you know, if they can leap out there 36 feet there, okay? Lions, uh, they have one of the most powerful jaws in the animal kingdom. Kingdom. Uh, lions, their claws play a big role in their hunting. The power of their claws, some of their claws extend out three inches and just one swipe of their claw can tear the hide off of a buffalo or zebra on one swipe. It has been known that lions, if they get up close enough, one swipe of their claws, they bring their claw down on the head of a buffalo or an animal like that. A buffalo or an ox can kill that animal with one single blow. And that's pretty scary when you think about that. Now, the ancients in those days, they watched lions. They studied them. They were scared of them. And so Solomon, writing it from observation, perhaps looking out his window one day, or perhaps he went on a safari if they did anything like that during that time. He said, a lion which is strongest among beasts. The roar of a lion can be heard as much as five miles away. Get that. It can be heard as much as five miles away. I mean, that's a fear, fearful roar roar. No wonder several times, if you study the word lion throughout the Bible, there are things the Bible says about it. For instance, the roaring of a lion. It was, it's very intimidating. It's very scary. It sends chills up the spines of individuals. Uh, lions were called ravening lions. They're called destroying lions. They were known for breaking the bones of its prey. Read Daniel chapter 6, and we read about uh, those, those, those people that turned against Daniel and threw him in the lion's den, and God shut the mouths of those lions. And then later on, those same people were thrown there. The Bible describes that the lion attacked them and broke the bones of them. I mean, lions are very, very fearful predators. Lions are strong. He said they are the strongest among beasts. Lions are noted for their courage. 
They do not back down from confrontation. They are ferocious. They have said that, they, that they're successful in catching uh, 50% of their prey that they go after. That's a pretty good uh, win-loss record there. Uh, lions do not give up easily. Lions are tenacious. They're strongest among beasts. They turn not away for any. Now, what does that got to do with you me? What is the life lesson? Why does Solomon say these are things that four things which are comely and going? Why is it pleasing in sight? Because there's a vivid life illustration. Go with me to Proverbs 28. One, so we can understand that. In Proverbs 28, 1, this is what Solomon said. The wicked flee when no man pursue it. But look at the latter part. But the righteous are what? Let's read that together. The righteous are bold as a lion. Now, righteous, if you would, he's setting a category of people. Righteous would be saved people. Now, where there's a whole other different lesson I want to give about a righteous person, a righteous man, which is a whole different lesson. But I just want to give the connotation for us tonight that you would think of you and I who are saved as being righteous people. By the way, we can only attain righteousness by faith through Jesus Christ. Amen? There's no righteousness apart from Jesus Christ, okay? Because the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. So unless it's by faith in Jesus Christ, we have no righteousness. But I want you to notice something things of what Proverbs 28 1 says. It says the righteous are bold as a lion. In other words, God's people should be bold like a lion. God's people should have a boldness about them in certain things. God's people should have a courage about them. God's people should have a certain confrontationalness about them. What should those be? Well, number one, go with me to Joshua chapter 1 and notice God's people should be bold in our pursuit. Joshua had followed in the shadow of Moses for 40 years. And I loved reading about Joshua because, you know, Joshua was one of those rare men. As strong as he was as a leader, as bold as he was as a, as a soldier, as, as, as convincing he was as a commander, he was very content to be in the shadow of Joshua for 40 years of his life. And so Moses dies. And, you know, as you read verses 1 to 3, you can't help but think that when Moses died, a part of Joshua died. Joshua's thinking, wow, you know, he got me prepared. He laid his hands on me. And the Bible says the spirit of Moses came upon, this, upon on, on, on Joshua. But Joshua's feeling a sense of intimidation. He's feeling a sense of inadequacy. He's really feeling like right now, I'm not sure if I can step into the shoes of this man by the name of Moses here. And God told him here in Joshua chapter 1... <coughs> He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And verse 3, he says, Every place that the sole of your foot should tread upon, that have I given to you as I send to Moses. Now, we can read all these verses, but I'm going to hone in on three verses. Three different times, he told Joshua to be bold in his pursuit, to be bold in the calling God gave him, to be bold in the execution of his leadership. Notice verse 6. He said, Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the lands which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Notice verse 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn off from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Look at verse 9. Have not I commanded thee? Notice he said, did I, he didn't say I encourage thee, have not I commanded thee. Be strong and of very good courage. Brother and sister in Christ, we need to be bold in our pursuit. We need to be bold and courageous in exercising faith. We need to be bold in doing what God calls to. Now listen, we are a local New Testament church. We're not a universal church. We're a local New Testament church. And even beyond all that, we're an independent Baptist church. God has given us as a church a calling. God has given us a mission. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. And as I read those verses, and as I read as he tells us in verse 20, we're to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you until the end of the age 
ages or to the end of the world. I'm reminded today as a local New Testament church, we're to keep doing what Paul did. We're to keep doing what Peter did. We're to keep doing what John did. We're to keep doing what the local New Testament churches did in the first century. We're to keep winning souls to Christ. We're to keep on discipling. We're to keep growing the church. We're to keep building the church. We're to keep influencing our community. We're to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Now, thank God for all the social programs that are trying to help people. But I'm going to tell you, social programs don't get people to heaven. Social programs do not change a man's life. What changes a man's life is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you today, we need to be, ever, if there's ever a time we need to be fervent and on fire for God and serving the Lord, it's right now. And I want to encourage you tonight because I'm talking to a wonderful congregation of people, people that love the Lord, but there's sometimes I feel this sense of, uh, of reticence and reluctance and timidity about what we do do. And I just want to tell you tonight, just as God told Joshua, who was 85 years of age when God commissioned him, I remind you tonight, we need to be bold in our pursuit. Don't back off. Don't be weak. Don't be timid. Don't, don't back off. Don't lack courage. Have boldness in doing something great for Jesus Christ tonight. We need to be bold in our pursuit. Hey, secondly, we need to be bold in our praying. Okay? Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Hey, listen, before you got saved, if you're trying to pray right now, you just, you just hope God would hear you. You're saved. You're a child of God. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Listen, your father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There's nothing he'll withhold. Hey, listen, the Bible says, says this about Ephesians 3.20. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Is that not in the Bible? Then why are we timid? Why are we not asking? He says, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace and, and ask God, say, God, that he says that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm reminded this evening, there were Bible characters who were bold in their praying. Abraham boldly prayed for Lot's deliverance from the wicked city of Sodom. Joshua boldly prayed for the sun to stand still for one day. In fact, that prayer is so bold, the Bible says it's never been repeated since then. There never was a prayer like that before, never a prayer like that thereafter, okay? Notice this tonight. Elijah prayed for fire to come down and rain to come down all in the same day. Daniel, after the law was passed, that it was legal for him to pray, kept on praying. Hey, Jabez prays, he, he prayed, his name means sorrow. His mother bore him in sorrow. We don't know if that meant that she died while giving birth. We don't know if her travail was so excruciating that, that it, 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 did, it did something to her. We don't know if his father died. We don't know any of those things. We just know his name meant sorrow. He got to the place as a young man. He got tired of living in sorrow. He got tired of being timid. And the Bible records a great prayer of the Bible. Jabez prayed, oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed and enlarge my coast and that thy hand may be upon me that it may not see evil. And I love what it says after that. And the Lord granted him that which he requested. Hey, he prayed boldly for some things to happen. I'm saying tonight, we need to pray boldly. Listen, we're not exercising faith if we don't pray boldly. We're not going forward for the kingdom of God if we're not praying boldly. We're not praying boldly if we're not praying for laborers for the harvest. We're not praying boldly if we're not praying for preachers to be called. We're not praying boldly for God to eradicate sin out of the camp and pray for holiness inside the church. I'm saying tonight, we must pray boldly for Jesus Christ tonight. We need to be bold in our praying. We need to be bold in our pursuit. Hey, we need to be bold in our proclamation. I love Acts chapter 4. Would you turn there? Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 31. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Now, you have to understand what happened here. They had just been censured for preaching the gospel. They said, speak no more in this name. And Peter and John were there, these two fishermen preachers, and... I, I, I kind of sense there as they went back to the church, they said, guys, we're feeling pretty intimidated right now. The Bible says they went back to their own. Now, Peter and John were intimidated. How do you think the rest of the church was feeling? 
There may have been some believers there, that early group there, there was about 8,000 believers. 8,000 of them were baby believers. Honestly, the other 120 that was the core, I think they were baby believers too. They didn't know what to do. But they did the right thing. They had a prayer meeting, amen? And they started praying. Their prayer meeting didn't go in circles. They prayed specifically, Lord, help us with boldness to proclaim your word. Look what he says there. They said, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Notice verse 31. And when they had prayed, now this was unanimous praying. Now listen tonight. Can I say this tonight? We ought to be praying with unanimity and unity about souls being saved. We ought to be praying for boldness in our faith. We ought to be praying for the exercise, that we exercise faith together. We do great projects together. Listen, all you bunch of people, kind of my peers and my age group, you ought to just say, Lord, help me to have the spirit of a Caleb. Give me this mountain. Amen. You're just going to say that for the rest of your life. We're going to keep on going. We're going to keep on sacrificing. We're going to keep on exercising faith because this is an area that needs to be claimed for Jesus Christ. Todd Starnes who is a born-again, saved Baptist, uh, Baptist uh, man who loves God, is, a, is, a, is on Fox News, and Todd Starnes loves independent Baptist churches, and he's just gotten to be very close friends with our good friend, Brother Chapel, down there at Lancaster Baptist Church. And Todd Starnes basically is taking, have you ever watched Starnes Country or follow him on, on social media? Todd Starnes is taking a bold stand against the liberalism and the far-left movement that's going on there, just helping people see the truth and things of that nature there. And if you, if you follow Todd Starnes, this man in bold takes a stand on things. When I got introduced him two years ago, he looked at me with open eyes. He says, you are in the San Francisco Bay Area. He said, you are going to be on my prayer list because he said, I don't know anybody else in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I just, you know, and we've gotten to become friends over time there. But I'm saying this to you tonight. Todd starts to take a stand. I mean, he gets vilifying letters. He gets threatening letters. He gets all kinds of junk thrown in. But he's taking a bold stand because he believes that God is on the throne and that the gospel makes a difference. Amen? And so tonight, I want to encourage you this evening as Christians, we need to be bold in our proclamation. The Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Hey, we read later on in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9 through Acts chapter 19, we read about the boldness of Paul. The Bible says, and he went into the synagogue and he spake boldly the word of God. I mean, he went among his peers and he spake boldly the word of God. Listen, it's summertime. And students, I want to encourage you, as you get ready for college and you get ready to enter that school, you're going to enter that citadel of godlessness, that citadel of anti-godism, that citadel that is against God. It's a synagogue of Satan. Listen, you go to that, you go to that university, you get all fired up because you're going to some institution of great learning. You better remind yourself that is an institution that has kicked God out. They, have, they don't want anything with God. They have teachings that are anti-God and unbiblical. They're against what you believe. They, they blaspheme your Savior. They say evil things about Jesus. They curse Jesus Listen, that ought to make your blood boil that things like that go on there. But you go on that campus, you decide if you're just the only one on that campus, you get on that campus and say, for Jesus' sake, I'm going to speak boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let me say something else tonight. We need to be bold in our pursuit, and we need to be bold in our praying, and we need to be bold in our proclamation. But go with me to 1 John 4.18. That's not in your notes. We need to be bold in our presentation. Here's what John said. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Listen, we're not going to have boldness in the day of judgment. We're just kind of floating along. We're not serious for God. We're not making you stand for Christ. 
No, well representing Jesus Christ, there will not be, there, listen, that boldness of the day of judgment means you, you, you're representing one. That's why John concluded that verse by saying, as he is, so are we in this world. In other words, I'm a mirror image of him. I'm trying to do my best to live for him and be in the word of God and, and pray up my life so that God can work for me. I'm going to say tonight, he says here this evening that the righteous are bold. He says, the righteous are bold as a lion, a lion which is strongest among bees and turneth not away for any. Listen tonight, let's get a lion-like faith. Othniel, who is the nephew of, of, um, of Caleb, his very name means lion-like. We need the faith and we need an attitude and a, and a character like Othniel. Get a lion-like faith. Number two, what you notice, not just a lion which is coming and going, but number two, notice a greyhound which is comely and it's going. Now, before I get into talking about the greyhound, let's go back to what, what does the word greyhound mean? <clears throat> when you go to the Hebrew, the word greyhound is not translated greyhound. Greyhound means this. Would you write this down? It means of the loins or of the hip and loins. Now, there are various interpretations as to what this animal was. The English translators, as they read this, they thought about the greyhound dog because of its, if you notice, its loins, its back loins. Very slender, very muscular, very quick. Very agile, very able. Look at, look, at, look, at, look at the spread of that dog. That's the idea that the English translators had of this verse when it says a greyhound, which means of the loins. Some believe it could have meant a cheetah, because a cheetah would be very, very a resemblance in there, because a cheetah is a very fast animal. Some believe it was a war horse, because again, a war horse would represent something like that. Some think that referred to the fact that, in fact, if you read several commentators, they'll tell you it was a rooster. I don't believe it was a rooster, but uh, I mean, it's a great thought they have there. And I'm not, and I'm not really sure which it is, but I'm going to accept what the English translators put down as a greyhound. But I don't want to call your attention on the animal. I want to call your attention to the definition of the loins. The loins of the body, the loins refer to the strength of the body. The loins incorporate from the abdominal area, which we know as the core, down here to the, to below, just a little bit below the hip area. It incorporates what is considered the strength of man, the support of the body, the strength of the individual. It represents where the strength of the core of man is. It's considered the virtue of a man, the virtue of a woman. I mean, from the core all the way down to the hips, it represents of the loins, of the hips and loins. I mean, if you can't move your hip, you're in trouble. If you can't move your loins, you're in trouble. You ask all these martial artists, they'll tell you this. The thing you have to focus on is on your core. you got to focus on your bottom. That's why they'll get you in horse stands. They'll tell you to be in a horse stand because they want you to build up that strength. They want you to be stronger the area because it gives you a foundation there. That's a football player. When they work on, they work on their, they work on that bottom part there. So when they when they get hit, they can withstand. They can have endurance. I'm just saying tonight. When you look at this, he's those writers back in that time. Solomon back in the time. He may not have been an athlete, but he understood enough that the, that the strength of the man's body is of the loins. Now I want to bring that to a biblical application tonight because if the loins represent the virtue of a man's life and represents the sport of the body, I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 12 verse 35. In Luke chapter 12, verse 35, I want you to notice some things that the Bible teaches us about the loins. Say amen if you're there. You're not there. Let's try that again. Say amen if you're there. Luke 12, 35. Okay. Let's read that together just to wake some of you up here. It's not cold enough. I should turn up the, I should turn up the coldness level or turn on the heat one or the other. Amen. The ladies are saying, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Okay. Luke 12, 35. Let's read together. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. You know what Jesus is saying there? Tighten your belt. 
tighten your girdle, and the girdle connotation is not like modern-day girdle. Don't allow yourself to get tripped up in your garments because you were careless. Tighten your belt. Tighten your belt. Whenever we read the connotation there in the Bible, it says he girded up his loins. It meant because everyone wore long flowing garments. If they were to run, we read about that in, about Elijah when he ran from Mount Carmel back down to Jezreel. Okay? When we read about someone taking a path, it says he girded up his loins. It means he pulled up his garments, he tightened it up, he took the belt or the rope that he had there and he tightened it up so that his garments would not get in the way, so that he would not trip, so he would not be impeded in his progress. He's saying, gird up your loins. Jesus is telling us here during these latter days in Luke 12, 35, let your loins be girded. Let your, th- tighten the belt around your life and as you do so, tighten up your mind. Peter says that. Gird up the loins of your mind. He says, tighten up your thoughts. Tighten up what you're thinking. And he says, let your light be shining. Now go down from there and go with me to Ephesians 6.14. Ephesians 6.14. Please, quickly, let's go there so I can get you out of here tonight. In Ephesians 6.14, we have the description about the armor of God. Now, something to do ourselves justice. It is not justice to studying Luke, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and to incorporate all of the armor of God without taking time to examine each piece carefully. Each piece must be examined carefully to understand its representation in war. And he says in, in Ephesians 6.14, Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. He's saying here, tighten up your life and live in truth and honesty. Tighten up the belt of your life when it comes to truth and to honesty. Now, I'm going to call us out tonight. You'll bear with me for just a minute. In love and yet with firmness tonight. I'm calling this out tonight. Use the girdle or the belt of truth to tighten up your life. Ephesians 4.25. Would you turn there, please? Ephesians 4.23. Ephesians 4.23. He says this in Ephesians 4.23, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now the new man, the connotation there is like, is like Lazarus coming out of the cave. He went in that cave, a dead man. He came out a new man. Amen. He came out a live man. He came out of that cave. Like, like Brother Denny said today, he, brought, he took us out that he might bring us in. He came out a new man. He says here in this verse, verse 24, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness, and true holiness. Notice verse 25. Wherefore put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now I'm calling this out tonight for the need of the hour to be truthful Christians. I'm calling this out tonight for the need of the hour to be truthful Christians. We need to be truthful. We need to gird about our loins with truth. Listen, tonight I want you to examine your waistline. I want you to feel around there. You need to tighten that belt right now. You need to tighten up that area which is called the virtue of your life. You need to tighten up that area of your life which represents your strength strength and your virtue about your life. I'm calling us out tonight for the need of the hour for God's people to be truthful, God's people to be honest, God's people to stop living in the darkness, God's people to stop lying, God's people to live in truth for the glory of God. Let me give you some things tonight. Number one, be truthful about your sin. 1 John 1.8, please turn there. Don't look at your notes. I'll go to the Word of God. 1 John 1.8. First John 1 John 1.8. <clears throat> I'm going to read it, then I want you to read it. Okay? If we say that we have no sin, who are we deceiving? And what is not in us? You're a liar then. That's what God's saying. If you don't admit, if you're not living in truth, you're deceiving yourself 
and you're lying. Be honest about your sin. Be honest about unconfessed sin. Be honest about being dishonest. Be truthful. When was the last time you confessed your sins? I'm not saying, Lord, forgive me of my sins generically. I mean, name them one by one. Sins of the tongue. Sins of the speech. Sins of uncontrolled anger. Sins of lying. Sins of stealing. Sins of idolatry. John said this, my little children, keep yourselves from idols. We have idols too. Yes, sir, we do. We have idols too, okay? Your position's your idol, okay? He says this to teachers. My, my brethren, be not many masters, lest we receive the greater condemnation. Hey, we, we like to idolize ourselves. We, like we like to idolize ourselves, our image taking in terms of what we see on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all that. We like to put up all these type of things. And I'm glad for just sharing with people, but there's a difference between sharing and, and, and between from that and, enamor, and being enamored with ourselves. there. It's like looking in the mirror and say, look at me how great I am. Look what he says in 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in it. Listen, if we're living with this idea that there is no sin, and it's been a long time since we've confessed our sins, we've called out our sins, we are, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us, brother and sister in Christ. Be truthful about our sin. Second, be truthful as a church member. Look again at verse 25, Ephesians 4.25. He says, wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. He's talking to the local New Testament church because he, he puts a colon there, and then he says, for we are members one of another. I hope we had a lot of members watching by live stream tonight. You became a member of Heritage Baptist Church. God put in your heart, first of all, to get saved. Secondly, to get baptized, because baptism is obedience to the Lord. It is not a ceremony, well, I got water on me. No, man, you got more than water on you. You told God you're going to be obedient to him. And church membership is not to be despised. Church membership, the gateway to church membership, you read Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. I mean, there's some specific things associated with church membership. Now, let me get with this tonight, okay? Listen to me. You agreed as a church member to live for the glory of God. It didn't mean you're going to be perfect. It didn't mean we're not going to have sin, because thank God for 1 John 1, 9. Amen? Okay. By the way, there's teaching out there today there's this, there's this hyper grace movement that's teaching today that you don't have to claim 1 John 1 9. It says that you, when you got saved, all your sins were taken care of. And that's true to, to an extent. Your sins were taken care of. But what they're saying there is because of that, you don't need to claim 1 John 1 9. There's no need to confess your sins anymore. Excuse me, the Bible says, My little children. My little children is talking to Christians. And 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse from all righteousness. It's, a, it's, an inv it's an invitation, a reminder to us that we need to keep confessing our sins to God. Amen? Amen. Now, don't read that junk that's out there. Get in your Bible. Before, before all that junk came out, which is man made philosophy, listen, we always had the Bible there. Amen. But as church members, we made an agreement about certain things. We made an agreement that we realized when we were joining a Baptist church, 
We made an agreement that we understood that part of a Baptist church is that if we're going to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ, we want to support the church and its endeavors. Some of those endeavors are Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night service. Now, I realize physically some cannot make it because of distance, other obligations, like that. But I'm, but I'm a little bit concerned. We've got summer here, and kids are out of school, and a number of things of like that. I'm amazed how busy we still are, and there's been no change in our attendance in school on Wednesday nights since school's been out. There, there's something wrong there. My obligations this summer, after I got back from vacation, my obligations increased. I, I've had to add another, another 20 hours a week to things I'm doing right now. You said, what are you doing about that? I didn't even have the 20 hours. You know what I'm doing? I'm getting up another hour to two hours earlier in the morning to get those things done. You want to talk about sleep-deprived? I'm sleep-deprived right now. I'm, I'm surprised I'm still awake right now. Amen, you know? And I'm just saying to you tonight, listen, we've got to be honest with church. You, you agree as a church member to be a tithing member. You agree as a church member that you're not going to gossip against your church or talk down about other members. You, you agreed as a church member that you're going to help the church fulfill the commission that God has given to us. At a minimum, take some summer tracks and give them out to me. No, I'm not browbeating and telling you that you've got to do this, got to do that. I'm not telling you all that. I'm just saying today, if you love Jesus, you love his church. Amen? Be truthful as a church member. He says, you lie and do not the truth. Thirdly, be truthful in our dealings. You're living a double life to people. That's not good for you and that's not good for them. Fourthly, be truthful with your spouse and be truthful with your children. I said this this morning to our combined home builders and heirs together class. I wish we had taped, we had, we had audio, audio recorded the, the, the lesson today. When you lie to your spouse, your children, you, hey, look up here. Don't look at your Bible. Look up here. You lie to your spouse and children, you've lost your credibility. You've destroyed your credibility. And you think it's hard to get forgiveness from a spouse that you've hurt, you've injured. Let me tell you tonight, it, you, you're, you have a big mountain to climb if, you're, if you've done that. You're trying to live something that you're really not. And listen, if you, 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 do that, you do that in church you do that with your pastor, you're living a different life than that, and you're trying to get recovery and hoping that you can keep your position. Hey, listen, don't you ever get to the place where you love your position more than you love Jesus. I told the staff, the U.S. staff, we had a, I had a session with them. I said, hey, our theme for this year, for this summer, is, is, is 1 Timothy 4, 6, a good minister of Jesus Christ. And I said things like this. I said, now, when he talked to Timothy, he said, be thou an example of the believer. And he told Timothy, he says, you better be a good example in what you're doing there, in your spirit, in your words, your attitude, and so forth there. But listen, I told our men, and our men are phone agreement, our ladies, they're phone agreement with this. I said, listen, if you love your position so much that you, you, that you can't give up your position, you love your position more than you love God, and that's an idol. I want you to understand tonight, I'm not, I'm not browbeating, but I'm just saying tonight, we have to be very careful of, the, of what goes on in our hearts and lives. The devil knows these things. The devil will attack you and work in, work in cities and those things. Be truthful to your spouse. Be truthful to your children. Now, I'm going to make a statement to you. A lot of Christians are losing in spiritual battle with their flesh and with the devil because the belt of truth is not girded tightly around your loins. When's the last time you left your home and you girded your loins with truth? I can say so much about that. He said, four things are comely in going. A lion which is strongest among beasts and turneth not away for any, a greyhound. Thirdly, which you notice, a he-goat. 
A he-goat is comely in his going. Now the he-goat is a male goat noted for its two horns on the top of his head. The he-goat is different from a ram. I don't have time to kind of get, get into breaking this down, explaining it, but to get an understanding of the he-goat, go to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8, we have this dream that God gave to Daniel, the dream about the ram and the he-goat, okay? Now, those are two symbols there. The ram was a symbol of the kingdom of Persia, which at that time Daniel was in. And the ram represented this, this, this great, great kingdom, but a he-goat came out of the west, which happened to represent Alexander the Great, or the Grecian kingdom, which would overthrow the Persian kingdom. Alexander the Great, if you know anything about your world history, you know that he was one of the great world leaders at that time. He died at the early, I guess the age of 30, 31, because he said, I have no more kingdoms to conquer. And so the he-goat, if you read Daniel chapter 8, the he-goat was, 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 uh, was a smaller goat, that had two horns. This particular he-goat had just one horn. And it broke the horn when it collided with the ram. But four horns grew out of it. That represented four different kingdoms there, okay? So when you read Daniel chapter 8 there, it's giving Bible. By the way, if you read the book of Daniel, it proves that the Bible is the word of God. How? Because it validates world history that's transpired. He spoke about, he prophesied about world history that transpired. I mean, it's a great book for you to study, understanding his prophecy there. But this he-goat came from the west. And, and the Bible says he was moved with choler or with anger against the ram, which represented Persia. And they both got together, and the he-goat was going like this and getting ready to, go, to do this thing. And they started, they, they did that thing. If you ever see two rams or two goats that have met each other and had, had a head-on collision there, I mean, when they hit, listen, the he-goat hit that thing so hard, that ram so hard, he broke the horns and he defeated it. And when the ram got knocked out, he got on top and started stomping all to on top of him. He defeated that ram victoriously. The idea there, I think, Solomon had was a he-goat like that. He watched a he-goat in motion. He watched a he-goat up on the mountain, mountainside. Hey, if you want, ever watch goats and rams, their feet, their hoofs on their feet are, are, design, are designed such a way that they can stand on just a few inches and maintain their balance. They have great agility and balance. And they, they can hop on rocks and jump from here to there. And they have great resilience. And if you notice he-goats, if you watch them in, in far as their, the, the, the flocks that they're with, he-goats always lead in the front. He-goats are strong and 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 brave. He goats use their strength to the best of their ability. Listen, he goats are known because of the, 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 the strong skull they have and the, and the horn there. And they look at an opponent down like this. And as they do so, they get ready. They start going like this. And when they're about to, they hit their heads on them. And they just butt heads with them. And they're ready to do that. Hey, listen, tonight, we need some Christians this evening that got, have kind of a he goat, kind of a he gate character. You're ready to butt heads with someone who tries to attack your church, with someone who tries to attack your faith, or someone who tries to attack what you're doing there. You need to take a stand for Jesus Christ. We need a he-goat courage, courage and heroism about us there. But notice something else about he-goats. The he-goat will not hesitate to use his horns for defense, dominance, and territoriality. But he-goats are, he are also known to climb and adapt well to high elevations. Now, they have found he-goats at elevations anywhere from 3,200 feet above sea level to as high as 16,000 feet above sea level. Listen, the thinness of the air doesn't affect them. They climb. They just keep on climbing. They're so majestic was this, 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 this image of the he-goat. This is what the psalmist wrote in Psalms 104, verse 18, which you notice it. He said, the high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the coatis. Habakkuk 319 says, The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet. He will make me to walk upon high places to the chief singer on my string instrument. And hey, what's he saying there? 
He-goats, if you would, are minded to climb the mountains. He-goat mentality is you want to be in the heavenlies. You want to climb higher in your Christian life. You want to keep going higher and higher and higher and higher with Jesus Christ there. No wonder the Bible says in, in Colossians 3 verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, not those things which are below. A he-goat is comely and going. A lion is comely and going. A, 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 a greyhound is coming and going. But notice he, he talks about a fourth one. Look at verse, uh, verse 30 here. 31. And the last one, he says, is a king against whom there's no rising up. What he means by that, a king that no enemy can stand up to. A king who is seen as unconquerable. A king whose army is in submission and can follow through. They keep rank. A king whose citizens are unified to follow his leadership. He's marked by his dignity, refinement, and righteousness. Look at it again. He said, this is the fourth thing that is comely. A king against whom there's no rising up. Okay? Now, notice this in Proverbs 16. Because as you study the book of Proverbs, Solomon says a lot of things about kings that have references or application to leadership. Notice Proverbs 16, 12. It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by righteousness. He says in Proverbs 20, verse 8, A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil with his eyes. I mean, so righteous is man. They just look at his eyes and all evil wants to go away. They just don't want any part with it because they know he's going to execute justice in the right way. Now, what does that all have to say? What, why does Agor say this? Why are these prophecies of Agor or Solomon given to us? Well, let me give you this tonight. First of all, we see the Christian life. We see the Christian life. Go with me to Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6. Would you go there, please? Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6. And this is what John says. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He's writing to believers. Notice verse 6. And has made us, that's believers, kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And amen. Hey, how many glad tonight you're a child of the king? I'm going to add to that tonight. God made you kings and priests. Amen. That's hallelujah time. Amen. Man, he took a pauper like you and me. He took a beggar like you and me. He took somebody who had nothing, made his kings and priests in his very sight. He made his kings and priests. And what does that mean? He said, he said, hey, you're a king and priest in the Lord. He said, live your life like a conquering king. Look at verse 30 again. He says about this. He says, a king against whom there's no rising up. You know what he's saying there? Live the Christian life as a victor, not as a victim. Live the Christian life as a conqueror, not being conquered. Live the Christian life as dignified and not being defeated. Live the Christian life as a gracious Christian, not a grievous Christian. Live your Christian life as a godly Christian, not as a gossipy Christian. Live the Christian life as a kind Christian, not as a critical Christian. He says a king against whom there's no rising up. Now, guys, tonight we need to rise up on our leadership. Men, you need to rise in your leadership. Ladies, you need to rise in your leadership. Act like a king. Walk and function as a king and priest. Kings had a certain dignity, a certain nobility about them. They had a dignity about them. Don't condescend to the level of the world. Rise up to the level where Jesus Christ has saved you to live for him tonight. So there's a Christian life. But notice, we see men as spiritual leaders. Would you notice 1 Kings chapter 2 with me? A new king was in motion. That was Solomon. And the Bible says in the first two verses of 1 Kings 2, 
Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Now why did he tell Solomon that? Because Solomon had to deal with four men who were leaders who failed. Four of David's contemporaries that failed. Adonijah failed. Abiathar failed. Joab failed. Shimei failed. We're, they failed. These men failed. And he says, son, you're the next king. I'm, I'm, I'm about to die. I'm, I'm, I'm about to leave this world. He said, I'm going to go the way of all the world. I'm about to leave here. He says, I'm going the way of all the earth. He said, be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Hey, can I say this tonight? Where are the men? Where are the men? Where are the men who are going to stand for God? Men, show yourself a man. Where are the men who pray? Where are the men who pursue holiness, without which no man shall see God? Where are the men who have humility? We're the men with servants' hearts. We're the men that can be counted on. We're the men that can say, we're here. Hey, listen, tonight, listen to what he says here in Exodus chapter 18, verse 21. He says this, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. We need some men. As kings, he says, as kings who against whom there's no rising up. So we see some life lessons, a godly life. As we close, would you notice the second point as we wrap this all up? We see a godly life. We see life lessons. But would you notice lessons about our Lord or about a glorious Lord? I don't want your eyes tonight as we leave this passage. What we're not able to do, I want to get our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. Amen? So I want you to notice that all of these descriptions figuratively and pictorially, a lion, which is strongest among beasts, a greyhound, or being girt about with your loins, a he-goat, and a king against whom there is no rising up. I want to say tonight that all these descriptions point us to the majesty, the glory, the awesomeness of the one king in whom there is no rising up. Amen? And that one king in whom there's no rising up is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, first of all, he says a king which is strongest among beasts. Now, when we look at the word lion, our thoughts go to 1 Peter 5.8. That's what we turn to the most. 1 Peter 5.8 says, and he says to be steadfast and to, and, be, and to be vigilant and steadfast because your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion who he may devour. But I want to tell you tonight, the one lion that can defeat another lion is a bigger lion. And the bigger lion is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen? In Revelation 5.5, my friend, the lion against whom there is, for whom there is majesty and glory and awesomeness, the lion against whom there is no rising up is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Revelation 5.5, and one of the elders saith unto me, weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loosen the seven seals thereof. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, overcomes the lion who is called Satan. Don't you let Satan threaten you. Don't you let Satan intimidate you. Don't you let Satan tell you you're no good. You just look to the lion of the tribe of Judah and realize you have victory in that lion. He, that lion we have, our king, is a king in whom there's no rising up tonight. Daniel chapter 5. You know, that, so we see that. Number 2, would you notice the greyhound, how the greyhound, or the word that describes of the loins, or, or about the loins and the hips. Now this greyhound, I want to see, that's described here, speaks about our Savior as well. Go with me to Daniel chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. It is very fitting that Daniel 10, and later on in Revelation 1, speaks about the attire and the physical nature, if, or the appearance, the, the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Daniel chapter 10 was given a vision and a dream. And in verse 5 it says this, Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, notice this, whose loins were gird, girded with fine gold of Euphes. His body also was like the barrel, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like, uh, like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Now, notice this, and as we take verse, verse 5, it says his loins were girt with fine gold of Euphaz. We go over there to Revelation 1.13, and it talks about him wearing a girdle of gold. Now, to understand the girdle, we go over to Jeremiah chapter 13. In Jeremiah 13, we have the Lord's talk, uh, teaching there to Jeremiah. And he told Jeremiah, he says, I want you to get a girdle and put the girdle on. He says, in other words, he says, I want you to get the equivalent of a belt to tighten up your, the, the, your clothing, to tighten up your loins. And then he said, I want you to take that piece of clothing off, that clothing that was tightening up, that, that belt, if you would, that, that, uh, that linen belt that tightened up your loins. He said, I want you to take it and I want you to hide it under a rock and leave it there. Well, he left it there for a long period of time. And then he said, go back and find that rock. We found over time after weathering and dirt and rain and water, that that girdle that he hid under the rock was marred and damaged. And he says, now see, son, he said, I want you to understand something. That girdle is a picture of your relationship or the nation of Israel, its relationship with me. He says, the girdle clings to a man's body and it shows closeness. Even so, when a man takes off his girdle and puts it away, it's marred. He's saying, the fellowship of the nation of Judah and Israel is so far from me that they're marred in their fellowship. They're not close to him anymore. The idea between a, behind a girdle and our loins being girt with truth not only that we gird it with truth, but God wants us in truth to draw close to him, to have fellowship with him. Hey, it's sweet to walk with Jesus, amen? Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before, amen? It's wonderful to have fellowship with God. It's wonderful to walk with him. It's wonderful to meet the master every day. But when we don't wear that girdle, we're not girded about with it. We are, we, are, we are far in our fellowship with the Lord. Now notice the description of our Lord Jesus Christ here. The picture here is Jesus who's standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Those seven golden candlesticks are representation of the local New Testament church. This is Jesus who is most high, almighty God, the Lord our shepherd, the Lord our banner, the Lord our peace, the Lord our righteousness, the Lord who is near, the Lord of righteousness, the Lord of lords, and the King of kings. And it represents here this ground, the gloriousness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's girt with his loins with a girdle of, of gold there. And then notice the he-go. The Bible talks about a he-goat also. Now, we see there this, this king, we see this lion. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And we see this, we see this greyhound, or being girded about the loins, and that girding about the loins with gold represents his gloriousness and his awesomeness. But we see this, we see the he-goat. Now, we read over there in Leviticus 16 about the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement, we recognize there that two goats were taken. And these two goats that were taken, one was to be taken as the sin offering. And there, the high priest was to kill that goat and then to offer it, sprinkle his blood upon the mercy seat. Now that was for the sin atonement. That goat died to pay for the sins of the people. The sins of the nation would be atoned for on that one day. But the second goat that he would have, he would keep it alive. And the high priest would go over that second goat and he'd put his hands on the head of that goat and he would pray over it. And then he would have someone take it way into the wilderness where it would never return again and would send it away. Now in a twofold way, it describes what the Lord does for us in the, in the means of salvation. Number one, the goat that died represents Jesus, who is a picture of Jesus who died for our sins. He shed his blood for us, and his blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat for you and I. Hey, listen, he was the innocent victim dying for you and I so our sins could be paid for in full. But the second goat, the scapegoat, was sent way out into the wilderness. And being out there in the wilderness is representing this, 
that as he prayed over this, he was placing our sins on that goat. He was imputing our sins on that goat. And his goat was sent away in the wilderness. Our sins are sent away, never more to bother us. Aren't you glad tonight that not only are you forgiven of your sins, he forgets all your sins. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Hey, who's the he goat? Jesus is the goat who was slain for our sins. No wonder we go to Hebrews chapter 9. It says no longer can the blood of bulls and goats satisfy the demand for sin. Why? Because we had a more acceptable lamb, a more acceptable goat that was given on, on our behalf, and that was Jesus who died for our sins. Listen, we see a glorious Lord, but then notice as we close this tonight, we see a king in whom there's no rising up. The summation of all this, that Jesus is our great and blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus is the king who is immortal, invisible, eternal, the only wise God. Sin cannot win over him. Satan cannot win over him. Death cannot defeat him. Governments and powers cannot win over him. Atomic power cannot defeat him. Nuclear power can't defeat him. Even the Toronto Raptors cannot beat him, amen? Listen, Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. The world cannot win over him. Governments cannot pass laws to defeat him. There's no dictator that can rise up that's bigger than our Jesus. We have a king who's undefeated. We have a king who will never be, who will never lose. We have a king who's on the throne. He's a king against whom there's no rising up. Hey, get off your face. Get off and stop living a defeated life. Stop living in sin. Stop living defeated and as a pauper and poor. And rejoice tonight. You've got a king in whom there's no rising up. Glory to Jesus. He's king of kings and lord of lords. We come to church and carry our Bibles. We wonder, what am I get out of it? I tell you what I'm getting out of it. I've got a king who's undefeated. I've got a king who will never lose. I have a king in whom there's no rising. You think the devil's going to get in Jesus' face? Absolutely not. You think those horde of demons, there's billions of them, do you think they're going to get in Jesus' face? Absolutely not. You think some world dictator thinks he can get away with shaking his fist in the, his puny fist in the face of God? Absolutely not. You think that someone can pass a law to close up the church and defeat the Christians, get away with it? Absolutely not. Why? Because he's a king against whom there's no rising up. But I have a problem. Because some of us live our lives thinking we can get away with what we do and not realizing he's the king of kings and lord of lords. Yeah. Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip may be symbolic. Jesus is not symbolic. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. Get with the, get with the, get with the program tonight, brethren. In eternity, you're going to be worshiping that king for all of eternity. You better have some crowns to cast at his feet. You better be prepared to sing forever and forever and to worship him and say hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. He's a king against whom there's no rising up. I wonder tonight, do you have a line like faith? Would you gird your loins about with truth? Would you have a he-goat mentality against sin? And by the way, would you take a stand for your church? People start talking about your church. You don't take a stand. Have a he-goat, butt them in the head. Amen? I was going to demonstrate with Justin, but I'm not sure if my head's stronger than his right now. Amen, you know? You ought to take a stand for your church. You ought to take a stand for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Hey, listen, there's all kinds of gossip out there, all kinds of chatter, just like what goes on in the world. The CIA is monitoring all the chatter out there. God monitors all the chatter, too. God knows the truth. Live like a king. You're kings and priests in Jesus Christ. Don't descend to the level of the world. The world has nothing to offer. The world is nothing in comparison 
to Jesus Christ. Thank God tonight, he's King of kings and he's Lord of lords.